When Jesus was here on earth, his life was marked by a ministry of amazing miracles. He missed the, the last boat, not a problem for Jesus, right? Walks across the lake, and that would probably be challenging enough, right? But he walks during a storm when everything is kind of going like this. Uh, Jesus has the people bow their heads and pray, and when they open their eyes, he's created enough food for thousands and thousands. Jesus turns empty nets into full. He turns dank water into fine drinking wine, right? Be better than anything a France vineyard could come up with. Amazing. And when Jesus was here on earth, his life was marked by amazing healings. He healed a blind person. He healed paralytics. He healed death. He healed the mutes. He healed lepers. He healed people with breathing issues or bleeding issues or stopped heart issues, right? He healed men and women and children and Jews and, and Gentiles. There was no paralysis or prognosis or problem or pain or person that Jesus couldn't heal. That's amazing. When Jesus was here on, on earth, he had a ministry that was marked by regular, it seemed, uh, interactions with hell itself. You had a woman with seven demons delivered, a man with a thousand demons delivered, a kid who had demons from the time he was born delivered. I mean, hell would shudder when Jesus walked by because at the slightest tinge of compassion, they'd lose another victim and, and heaven would gain another trophy. It was amazing. When Jesus was here on earth, his life was marked by a teaching ministry. And we have adjectives for his teaching ministry, but... Amazing isn't always one of them, right? We've got the hard sayings of Jesus. We've got the controversial sayings of Jesus. We, we, we have the troubling things. You know, if you could choose watching Jesus raise somebody from the dead or watch, listening to Jesus preach a message, you know, it's just not as much entertainment value here. But here's the truth. If you and I lived back in the day, and if we knew Aramaic, right, if we listened to Jesus preach, we would say what the vast amount of people said who heard him preach. Never has a man preached like this before, taught like this before. The crowds were amazed. It's a regular saying in Scripture. And so what we're starting this, this morning is we're starting a series on the parables of Jesus. Jesus spoke anywhere between 17 to 40. I know there's a big discrepancy there, but 17 to 40 parables is just according to how you want to define them. We're not going to go over all of them. Um, but I figured that today would be a good day to go with the very first parable because Jesus didn't always speak in parables. This was not part of his teaching style initially. According to the Gospel of, of Matthew, first 11 chapters when Jesus would teach, it was pretty much in your face. It was propositionally. It was, it was direct. But something happens in chapter 12 because we get his first parable, at least according to Matthew, in chapter 13. Well, chapter 12, this is what been going on. The religious leaders weren't sure what to do with Jesus. Uh, the first part of Matthew, they didn't know. Maybe, maybe he could be won over, right? I mean, because he could do some amazing things. He's a bit of a maverick and all, but if they could rope this guy in, he could help them get to where they needed to be. And so they, they're wondering and asking these questions about, is he the Messiah, and, and, and on and on. But in chapter 12, the, the religious establishment brings their verdict on who Jesus is, and what they say in chapter 12 is he is not heaven sent 
No, 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 no. Jesus is hell-bent. He is, he is not the Messiah. He is not from God. He is from hell itself. He's demonic. And when they said that, they, according to Jesus, they committed the unpardonable sin. According to Jesus, they had, they had sealed their eternal damnation. And so suddenly, in chapter 13, his teaching style kind of shifts. And so let's start with the first Jesus' first parable in Matthew 13. If you've got your Bibles or you've got your device, you can turn there. And this is parables in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to jump to Luke in a little bit. But Matthew 13, it says, That same day Jesus went out to the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying... A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them, and other seeds fell on rocky ground when they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced uh, grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, I know this sower is going out to sow may be a little bit unique for us, right? Because we've got a John Deere contraption that does that for us. But, but here, this was, this was a pretty normal thing. Just about everybody in the crowd that day uh, knew, knew of this. Many of them participated in this. Agrarian society that they were, they all, this is very, very common. It says that when they, Jesus brought this teaching, he was in uh, Galilee, Sea of Galilee region, flanking the Sea of Galilee. Lots of fields have to be sown in early uh, or late fall, early winter. Good possibility that, that there are sowers out sowing seed right now as Jesus says this. A sower would go out, he's got his little, little uh, pocket of, of seed. He's, through, he's learned through skill and experience how to cast his seed so that it, it brings the greatest uh, fruition. But, but some of it would fall on the, the path. There's not a massive extensive road system, right? And so, and so if you want to get from point A to point B, you just go. And if a field gets in the way, oh, well, you just go. And so there were paths kind of between fields uh, from years of folk walking or animals walking and the sun and the elements kind of hardened. And sure enough, some of the seed would fall on the path and people would come by and step on it and birds would come down and eat it. And, and people there that day going, yeah, yeah, I hate when that happens. Yeah, waste my good seed. Okay. And so then Jesus says some falls on the rocky soil and it's not like soil with rocks. It was, it was typical Palestinian uh, geography at that point there was a plate of limestone just a few inches below the topsoil, and the plants would grow, you know, from, from outward appearance, everything looked good. The plants would grow, but there was no place for their roots and no moisture, and so they would die off soon, and people are thinking, yeah, 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 I hate when that happens too. And then he says, some of the seed falls among the weeds, and the land was probably cultivated and all, but the, you know, you know, you know weeds, right? And so, sure enough, these weeds grow up, and they take all the moisture, and they take all the nutrients, and, and, and they, they're causing all this trouble for the plant, so it kills the plant, and the people are very familiar with that. Yes, that's right. And then Jesus says, and some of the seed falls on good soil, and things come up, and they're going, yeah, that's why we do this, good job. And then Jesus says, amen. 
You're dismissed. Have a good day. Listen, see you next week. And the folk go, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Is this it? I mean, I traveled all the way for this sermon, and all I got was this, I mean, I could have preached that sermon, Jesus. I mean, it was short and all, so I guess that was a good sermon, but it was awful. You know, what's it? it means nothing to me. There's no, what do I do with this? Is there, are you sure there's nothing more? And Jesus says, no, nothing more. People walked. And, and, and that's what brings us to a very important, well, look at verse 9, actually, first. And I've got this underlined in my Bible, because this is the key, I think, to, to the whole parable, only command in the whole parable, he who has ears, let him hear. This will be a parable about parables. It's a parable about how to hear. Verse 10, it says, when the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus, why do you do it? I mean, when you would teach, you would give us incredibly powerful theological truths. I mean, mind-blowing stuff. You would, you would teach us about things that would, would revolutionize our culture, and we don't even have categories for some of this stuff. And it's exciting and wonderful and so amazing. And now you give this cheap, little, lame, useless agriculture story. What is this about? What are you doing? And Jesus answers. He says, for to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them... It has not been given. For to the one who has, this fascinating lines, and often when people preach this, they go right to the interpretation, which is a handful of verses down. This middle section is key to understand this whole parable. It says, for to the one who has been, who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What's he saying? Jesus is saying, you know, the, the crowd who's come to hear me, because anytime God's word is gone out, you know, crowds are, are there. It's really polarized. There's two groups of people in every crowd. There are those folk who, who really deeply want to know what this means and plan on altering their life accordingly. They're going to live this out. They've already made that decision. And then there are folk who it's good to go hear Jesus once in a while or maybe it's entertaining or I've seen him do some powerful things or maybe if I'm in the right place, maybe he'll work some sort of miracle in my life. And they're, 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 so the, the crowd is polarized. And Jesus says, for, for these people over here, they really don't need to know what I'm saying. I mean, it's not, they're really not interested in that. But for these folk, he says, for people who hear my word and they embrace it, People who, who have decided that they're going to live this out regardless of, of the cost. People who said, I'm going to apply this to my life. Those people, I know I can trust to give more. And when I give them more and they, they, they see and they hear and they embrace it and they, they live that out, then I know I can give them more yet. And when they see that and they embrace it, I'm going to give them more and they get more clarity and more understanding and, and, and their, their light is brighter and they can fly higher. But for those folk, they reject my word, at least practically. They might be there to listen, but practically they reject my word. Those folk, the reward is going to be ignorance. The reward is going to be more darkness. 
the reward will be the back door will be open and all that they had will escape. So let him who has ears hear. Amazing, amazing. Now he's going to go on with some quotes, a couple of verses from Isaiah. I wish we had time. We don't have time. But they say basically the same thing. Uh, but verse 16 He says this, he says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He said, don't, don't recognize what you got here in my word. Because if, if Jeremiah was here, if Daniel was here, if Abraham was here and Abigail was here, they would love to hear this. They would die to hear this stuff. But it wasn't for them. Different era. But for you, Almighty God is discipling you. And, and, and I am going to give you God's thoughts and how to live life. It's come, that's my word for you. So don't, don't treat it lightly. Sometimes we treat God's word, don't we, like we're at the... Doctor's office, we pick up an eight-month-old copy of People magazine. It's all old news, and we're just kind of glancing. We're waiting. We'll hold it, look at it, partially waiting for the important things to happen. It's kind of what we do with God's word. And then he's going to give us the interpretation of the parable. And I want you to notice this. The only people that got the interpretation of the parable are those that waited around. Those that came to Jesus and said, help me understand exactly what this means. Because when we hear God's word, if our thirst is, I want to know what this means, Lord, would you help me figure this out and live this out? Those people, Jesus is there. He says, oh, absolutely. Now, we could look at the interpretation here. We're going to look over in, in Luke. And again, we could have been... Three different places, but let's, let's go to Luke because Luke adds a couple pieces I, I want you to, to notice. As I'm going to read the interpretation in Luke and then kind of like circle the key words, and I'll kind of emphasize the key words, kind of help you out, right? In uh, 11, chapter 8, verse 11, he says, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Got that? Um, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But those who have no root, they believe for a while, and in time testing, they fall away. As for those that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit doesn't mature. As for the goods, those in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, and we could spend some time even on the, the verb tense, continually hearing the word. Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Very next section in, in Luke. Looks like he's changing a whole new topic, right? Ah, verse 16. Not long after, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar and puts it under a bed or puts it on a stand so that those who enter, but puts it on a stand so those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Next words. Take care then how you hear. 
God, God's word is not to be hidden. We're supposed to live this thing out. Take care how you hear. Very next section, very next section. We think there's a new subject. No, that's not a new subject. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Those who are in family with me. Those who, who, who have real relationship with me. That's where we're committed to each other. And that's the person who hears the word of God and does it. In the in verses 18 where he says, take care how you hear. Careful hearing, right? There's, we can be careless in our hearing sometimes. Uh, I don't know if you would ever do this with your spouse. I personally probably would not. But uh, once in a while, it could be theoretical that, that Teresa and I are talking, and I'm looking at her, but my mind isn't someplace else. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not really listening. Or perhaps I could be looking at her, kind of nodding, yeah, yeah, yeah. But meanwhile, what I'm really doing is figuring out what I'm going to say. I'm really not necessarily listening to what she's saying, because I like my, my voice, right? And I have the greater insight, and I can solve this. And so I just can't wait to give my opinions, and I'm formulating my argumentation, and I'm really not listening. Or sometimes in life, we like to multitask. We're busy people, so busy. Who can possibly, who has got the time to give all their attention to one thing, right? We gotta do several things at once. And so I'm really not listening. Worst part about this is if then I'm accused of not listening, I'll get upset. I am listening. I heard what you said. You said something about that thing, you know, whatever. And I, I don't know if I really believe I am or not. That's the problem with folk who are listening, listening carelessly. They don't even know it. It might be possible. If we can do this with people we love, can't we not do this with the Word of God? Well, we might actually think, I am listening. Are you? Jesus says, be careful. How you listen, he who has ears to hear. Because the way we listen will determine the soil of our heart. The way we listen, critical. So he says, seeds the word of God. Verse 12, the one along, ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Satan's involved with this. Yes, he is. But just keep in mind, their heart was hardened before this. We are good at making excuses for unbelief, aren't we? Yeah, they had a bad run-in with some Christians one time. Yeah, church was just, they had a bad issue with church. Yeah, you know what? They just can't handle the hypocrisy in the church. Well, you know, they were dealt a bad hand. And so it's, we've got all kinds of excuses why people don't believe. And Jesus says, you know what, it's, it's, it's a little bit easier than that. There's a hardness of heart. There's a hardness of unbelief. Side point, sometimes we, we kind of blame the sower, don't we? You know, the sower just really blew it here. And sometimes I'll blame myself. Oh, I didn't have the right argumentation. Oh, I forgot that verse. Oh, I didn't answer that person's question the way I should have. Oh, it's the sower. If I was sowing better, that person's life would be changed. But the way I, I mean, for crying out loud, no way. It's the sower. Here's the exact same sower, exact same seed, 
sown exact same place. The difference is the soil the seed lands on. Next soil, he says, the ones on the rock or the rocky soil are those when they hear the word, receive it with joy. Lots of emotion here, right? But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. You know, we define reality sometimes by emotion. Oh, man, God showed up. How do you know God showed up? Well, God showed up because there were tears. There was exuberance. There was dancing. It was, oh, it was, yeah, it was the real deal. Well, this would let us know that emotion is not the distinguishing mark of New Testament conversion. It's just not. People come to know Christ lots of different reasons, don't they? they? Maybe they think my life is a mess and Jesus is going to straighten it out for me. Or I got myself into some trouble and Jesus is going to take care of that. Or I've got this bad relationship going on over here or this rough thing over here financially. And Jesus is going to fix these things for me. And when Jesus doesn't, or maybe he does and they just move on, or maybe he doesn't and I get dis- disappointed, Jesus says that kind of a perspective, kind of faith doesn't doesn't last. He says, as for that which fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, so their fruit does not mature. Jesus gives us three toxic weeds, toxic to our faith. One of the cares of life. Man, I got cares of life. You got cares of life? I got cares of life. Man, I got aging parent cares and children cares and financial cares and home issues and yard issues and might have dog issues and just life issues. And, you know, we should deal with these, but sometimes I can't really listen to God's word right now because I don't have time because i got to give all my time to my issues. My life is spent dealing with my issues. I don't have time for, for that. Or another, another weed are the riches. Now, listen, I, I'm not trying to get rich. I don't want to be rich, crying out loud. I don't do that, rich. I just want to be secure. I just want enough money to do a few things. Nothing crazy. Jesus made it real clear you can't serve God and money. You just can't. Final weed he mentions here is pleasures. And it's not wrong, of course, to have a good night's sleep in a soft, warm bed or to have a family vacation or to enjoy a good meal. Problem is, when all of those things become life-consuming. And all I do is chase the pleasures, chase the, the money, uh, uh, chase those sort of things. Jesus says, if that's your allegiance, your commitment, uh, that seed's not going to make it. That's not going to make it. And then he says, as for those in good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And it's a huge promise there. For, for those who hear the word of God and their commitment is, I don't want to just hear it. I want to know it. I want to live it. I want to figure out exactly how this pertains to my life. I want to do this. Jesus promises, if that's your perspective, fruit. You can guarantee it. There'll be growth. Huge fruit, actually. It'll be there. I remember, uh, I'll change his name, but, but a kid in the youth group a gazillion years ago, 
Alex. Uh, Alex uh, ran with a real rough crowd at, um, at school. And so he'd come to youth group, and I'd talk with him, and he was always wrestling with whether he should commit his life to Christ, but there's friends, and he was really wrestling with it. I remember the night Alex committed his life to Christ, made a profession, and tears, and joy, and excitement, and wonderful stuff. And so the next day, he went back, and he had a big cross, and Jesus written across it. And now he knew his friends weren't into that kind of thing, but they were friends, for crying out loud, and they were open-minded. They'd be okay with it. They weren't okay with it. And at one point in the day, after suffering physical abuse, one of the friends grabbed the cross and busted off his neck and threw it down the hall and said, go get it. And if you do, just keep going. Because you're not part of us. And Alex did not go get it. He received with joy until things just didn't work out the way he wanted them to work out. You know, I, I, I think of... Uh, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is in the, in the desert. Just before he starts his public ministry, he's face-to-face with Satan. And the very first temptation Satan throws at him is a mild one, actually. Jesus has been fasting 40 days, tells us he's hungry. I can imagine, fasting 40 days, right? And Satan comes to him, and Satan says, Jesus, Jesus, remember when Israel was in the desert, maybe this very desert, remember that God the Father gave them bread every single day. Manna, you know what? Jesus, you've got power. You say you're God and all. Just turn these stones into bread. I mean, we're not talking, you know, crepe Suzette and pheasant under glass or anything. We're just bread. So this is not a big deal. Just bread. It's not an issue. Jesus' response is huge because he says, man shall not, quotes Deuteronomy 8, man shall not live by bread alone, We do live by bread. It sustains us, bread of some sort. It sustains us, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what what he's saying is this bread, it sustains us, but it's God's word that gives us meaning and purpose and significance and dignity and humanity. Problem is, if you live your life just live to eat, eat to live, all the the pleasures, the issues. You're living animalistic. You are missing the most significant, important part of life. And so Jesus, I think, would say to us, he who has ears to hear, let him hear how you're hearing. Be careful how you hear. As we move down this series of parables, this is true for all of God's word, right? Quiet time stuff and everything else. The way we need to start all of that is drop to our knees maybe before we get here or as we start reading God's word um, and say, God, I want to hear. I've got so many things in my mind. I'm so easily distracted. Please, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you help me to hear your word as I ought Show me what to do with it. Give me the courage to do that. I can imagine there would be some sort of change or shift in his church today if, in fact, that's how we started every time we listened to his word. For the Christian, most important thing is the written word of God. Actually, second most important thing, right? The, the most important thing is the living word of God. John chapter 1 
John, I think the oldest verse in the Bible, Jesus starts off, or uh, John starts off writing, and he says, in the beginning, hearkening to Genesis 1, previous to Genesis 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He says, he says that, that all things came into being through him, and without him nothing was made that had been made. He says that this Word was life. That's our, that's our substance. John's going to go on and say this, this word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. He's going to name him as Jesus. And he demonstrates throughout his whole, his whole uh, uh, gospel that this Jesus, this word, changes our, our lives. He's the Messiah. He came to die. You and I came to live in this life. We were never supposed to die. We know this every time we go to a funeral. I don't care how aged the person is. We know this is not the way it's supposed to be, and it's not. We were never supposed to die, but Jesus came to die. And Scripture would let us know that the reason why is because you and I, all of mankind, have sinned. We've gone our own way. We've ignored God. We've neglected God. We've put things above God. And when Jesus hung on that Roman cross, God the Father looked into the past to the sins of Adam and Eve and, and uh, Abram and Jacob and David and put them on Jesus. And he looked to the present, to the sins of, of Peter or, 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 or Paul, and he took them and he put them on Jesus. And he looked to the, the future, to my sins and your sins, and he took them and he put them on the shoulders of Jesus Spotless Lamb of God. So when Jesus died, all of our sin was taken care of. He, cared, he took care of it. But we have to be very careful how we hear the gospel. We have to embrace it. We have to accept it. As many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. This was so important to Jesus that we never forget this, that he gave us a, a reminder and this is, the, we have not, as a body, celebrated communion, the Lord's Supper, throughout this whole pandemic, but that's going to change this morning. And as it does, we, we are reminded that, that throughout the history of the church, through some very awful, awful times, God's people still came together, some of them coming together illegally in order, in order simply to celebrate Lord's, Lord's Supper, to be reminded of the sacrifice that he made for us. And so if, if you have your communion cups when you came in this morning, you want to open, but hang on, hang on, hang on just a second. There's a little tab that you're going to feel, this is natural for me to just pull. Don't, don't pull that one. That will open your juice. On top of that, there's a thin piece of cellophane, and if you can grab that and open that now, that will expose the wafer. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, last supper with his disciples, he took the bread after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. They did not know what he was talking about, I'm pretty sure. Now the next day, they would know. And so what we want to remember, because Paul tells us as often as you eat the bread, you, you remember the Lord's death, we want to remember the price 
that was paid for our, our salvation, the living word of, of God, would you partake with me? You can take your cup now and very carefully open that top because scripture says that after they had eaten, Jesus took the cup. He says, this cup is the new, new covenant, new testament of my blood that's spilled out for, for many. Again, that's why Paul would remind us as often as we do this, even this morning, we demonstrate the Lord's death with the hope that he's coming back for us one day. So would you partake with me? Would you stand, please, for closing prayer? As we're reminded, Lord, of the incredible price that you paid for us, your grace so amazing, the most amazing thing you did was die and be resurrected on our behalf. And I'm reminded, Lord, when I look at my heart as much of it as you let me see, the depths of sin and grief and dysfunction and foolishness reminds me that you did not choose because we were better than other folk or, or wiser or more moral just because you love. And we, we pray that you would remind us this week to rest in your love, Lord, to rest in the fact that we are, are clean because of Jesus, no other reason. Would you remind us this week of your written word, give us ears to hear, that we might reflect to those around us your, your reality, for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.